Well, church family, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, back to Luke. Luke chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 32 this morning. Uh, we've, uh, if you're fairly new to us, we started making our way through the Gospel of Luke back last fall. Uh, around 1st of March, we took a break, uh, did some different series. We did a series through Lamentations, thinking about the grace of lament, and then we had a couple of individual sermons as we approached Easter and then last week as we reflected on our one-year anniversary for putting down roots. But today, we are going back to Luke, find ourselves in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 13. I look forward to continuing on this wonderful gospel, um, looking forward to getting back to it and uh, just spending time in God's Word uh, together. This is a, a joy, a treat, a blessing for us to be able to have this time together even in, in trying times like this, this is still a blessing. And so let's look together today at Luke chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 12, and I want to read down to verse 32, and that'll be our passage of focus today as we reflect on this word together. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. This is what we read. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus... He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, as a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. One of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus perceived that their thought, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Lord, would you 
Help us see this great work of grace, of healing, saving grace that's on display in these verses before us. Lord, would you teach us something about your nature and character to be forgiving, to extend grace to others in their greatest time of need. Father, would you open our eyes and our ears that we might be able to receive your word today and be transformed by it for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about the crisis, this COVID-19 crisis that we are in, it's been interesting to see the variety of different responses from people. Uh, it's been interesting to me to even see a lot of self-professed medical experts on social media thinking that they know exactly what's going on and all the rest. But think about the responses. You've got the very serious who take this very seriously, who understand the, the highly contagious nature of this disease and, and the impact that it's having. And, and then you have those who are completely unconcerned, thinking it's a, a total waste. Um, you've got those who are doing everything possible to communicate about the importance of saving lives, and then you've got those who are actually protesting, saying we should get back to normal and sacrifice the weak. Let the weak just die. You know, as we think about the responses, it tells us something about the nature of humanity, but it also reminds us about the unknown realities of this disease even. I mean, this, this virus affects people differently, doesn't it? It's killed hundreds of thousands of people now. Others have fallen ill and have recovered, while others have had it and could hardly tell that anything was wrong. This virus has affected people differently, not only in their response, but even in their getting it. But the fact that it's altered life can't be denied. You know, as I think about just the impact that this particular virus has had, on the world. You know, I thought about another disease that's lurking that's had a much different and far worse impact. This disease is also highly contagious. There's no immunity, and there's no one who can be classified as asymptomatic. And worst of all, the infection and mortality rate is 100%. This disease was not found in a seafood market or in some lab, as some would like to say, but its origin was found in a garden. As Christians, we know this disease full well. We know it is sin. And even as we think about the reality of sin, as we think about the impact of sin in the world, in our lives, we know that there's a cure. We know that our greatest threat is not COVID-19, or heart disease, or cancer. As serious and deadly as those things are, our greatest problem, our greatest threat is sin. But the good news to that is, as I just said, there is in fact a cure. There is a, 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 a hope beyond this disease that's impacted the entire world. As we approach our passage today, I want us to see from what seems to be three different unrelated stories at first. I want us to see from these two healings and the calling of a tax collector, the response 
that Jesus has to this great problem facing humanity. Again, I said that when you first read these passages, you may think, well, okay, there's a story about the healing of a leper, there's a healing of a paralytic, and now there's a calling of a tax collector. And they seem unrelated at first, but yet when you begin to understand the purpose of the gospel writer here, Luke, we see that he's not only been inspired to write these and record these accounts, he's been inspired to record them in a particular order to show a bigger agenda. You see, Luke is not merely telling us about a couple of healings and a calling of a disciple. He has a greater agenda in mind. There's a bigger message being told. And that story and that message, that agenda is this, that while Jesus certainly has the power to heal, ultimately he has the authority to forgive sin. Our greatest need is to be forgiven of sin. And Jesus is the one who can meet that need. That's what each of these stories are telling us, individually and collectively together. They are teaching us that our greatest need, our greatest threat, our greatest problem is not a physical disease. It is an internal disease. And he has the solution in himself. See, here we have three different accounts, a leper, a paralytic, and a tax collector. And yet, together, they teach us something critically important about the nature of forgiveness. And I want us to see in these encounters, separately and together, Four truths about forgiveness that emerge from these verses. Four things about forgiveness that we find here in our text today. So let's walk through this passage and these uh, passages, these accounts, these encounters that Jesus has with these different individuals. And let's see what God would have us understand about the nature of forgiveness. First of all, we see this. We see that forgiveness is our greatest need. Forgiveness is our greatest need. We're told that while Jesus was in one of the towns of Galilee, that a man approached him. And Luke tells us here in this text, in verse 12, there came a man and he was full of leprosy. Now, leprosy was a term that often referred to a variety of different skin diseases. So we're not exactly sure what particular form of leprosy he had, but we know that he was full of it. He, it covered him from head to toe, and he was being impacted. His whole life had been changed because of it. Not only would he have endured physical harm, physical pain from this disease, he would have been ostracized by the community. I mean, we think social distancing is a new thing, but for the leper, that's what his or her life would have consisted of, being separated from the community, being cast out indefinite quarantine for such a person. So as he approached Jesus, he was doing so at a great risk. Such an action would have never happened unless one would have been driven to the point of despair. But notice he approaches Jesus and he does so humbly. We see this humility played out in a couple different ways. We see it in his posture. He has a reverence as he falls on his face in verse 12. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him. Notice what he says in his request as he begs Jesus. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. See, this man was physically impaired. He was a social outcast. 
He was considered unclean by the law, and yet he understands that Jesus not only can help him, Jesus can actually cure him. He can cleanse him. And so you see in this man this great demonstration of faith. He casts himself at the mercy of Jesus. He confesses and recognizes that Jesus can, in fact, cleanse him if he, choose, if, if, if he chooses to. And Jesus responds. Notice how Jesus responds, though. He acts in a way that no one else would have even thought of. Not only does Jesus turn to the man and say to the man, I will be clean, but he touches him. Verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touches a man who would, was classified as unclean, highly contagious and unclean according to the law, not just the customs of the day. See the compassion of Jesus. He reaches out and he touches this unclean leper and immediately at the words of Jesus, I will be clean, this man was healed and made clean. It's important to consider when you go back, you can read about Leviticus, or you can read about lepers in Leviticus 13 and 14. Some of us think that Leviticus is challenging territory. But friend, go, I would just encourage you, take this time this afternoon, go read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. And again, you, you, think, you think all that what we're facing today is bad. Read about what lepers had to endure. The law dictated how they were to live out their lives. Specifically in Leviticus uh, 13, I believe it's uh, verses uh, 45 and 46. Let me just give you a little taste um, of what they endured. Verse 45 of Leviticus 13, The leprous person who has this disease shall wear torn clothes. Let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. See, lepers endured a terrible isolation, a terrible, terrible humiliation. They, they were separated from the community. They were classified unclean. And for the leper to be brought back into the community, at least two things had to happen. One, the priest had to examine them. They had to present themselves to the priest. The priest had to see whether or not they were, in fact, cured or healed from this disease. And if so, if it looked like the disease had gone away and that they were well again, then the man or the person uh, would have to present an offering. And notice the nature of this offering. If you go back and read there in Leviticus, it's actually an offering as an atonement for sin. So the priest then would take some of the blood from the offering. This is kind of weird. There in Leviticus chapter 14, he would take a dab of blood from the offering and a dab and he would put on the lobe of the right ear, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot. Leviticus 14, 14. This is Bible, folks. And that would symbolize the leper's cleansing and sin being forgiven that he or she then could return to society. So you see what's going on here in Leviticus, and, and I think Jesus picks up on it as he references even, even going and presenting for this man to go and present himself to, to the priest just as Moses commanded. He's honoring God's word there. But it's important to see that no priest could heal a leper. Their, their responsibility was not one of healing, but one of classifying or recognizing. No priest could make someone clean. The only way was through 
atonement, through sacrifice. And now fast forward back to Luke chapter 5. Jesus cleanses this man, instructs him, according to Leviticus, to go show himself to the priest. And he does. I think one of the things that we see here, Jesus says, I will be clean. He tells the man, I do will this. I am willing. Therefore, you be clean. Be cured from this disease. No priest could have ever made that proclamation. No priest could have ever brought about healing and cleansing for anyone, much less a leper. So Jesus here is drawing attention not only to his power to heal. He is showing his authority to do something far greater. It's a wonderful picture of the gospel. We're going to see it more clearly as we walk our way through. You see just even just imagery of the gospel here, don't you? You see someone who is unclean, unfit, outcast, separated, casting themselves at the mercy of Christ, asking Christ for mercy, and Christ giving at his command mercy and cleansing and restoring a person, this leper in this case. And you move on to the encounter of the paralytic. Jesus' purpose here in his healing and Luke's purpose in recording it in this particular place becomes a bit more clear, doesn't it? We're told that there were some men who brought a paralytic to Jesus. And eventually, if you read different gospel accounts, we know that the, putting the whole story together, that they come to this house where Jesus was. He's in a house. Usually a house was about two stories. And so he's in this house, and it's just crammed with people. They couldn't get through the doorway to bring, to bring this, this, this friend of theirs to Jesus for him to be healed. So they do the next best thing, right? Any, what any of us would do. They go on top of the roof and they make their way to the top and they lower their friend through the roof. They remove some tiles or whatever the case was there. They, they lower the, 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 the friend through the roof. I mean, what a scene this would have been. Just a packed house, Jesus teaching, and all of a sudden, there comes this guy down right in the middle of everybody, right in front of Jesus. And then notice how Jesus responds. Verse 20. When he saw their faith, the faith of the man and the, the friends, notice what he does. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. What do you mean? They're asking for him to heal this man. This man, he's paralyzed. He can't walk. He can't move. And they're simply asking for Jesus to restore this man's health so that he can walk again. And Jesus looks at him in the midst of this great scene, and he tells the man, your sins are forgiven. It's a weird kind of response, it seems at first. And you can imagine that this was not at all what the crowd would have expected, much less the man. So what is Jesus doing? You see, what Jesus is doing is he's going to show us that his miraculous work, while indeed miraculous, while indeed true, while indeed real, these were true healings, but these healings were pointing to something greater. He's showing that our most fundamental need is to have our sin forgiven. I like what David Platt said as he commented on this passage. He said, referring to this man, he said his ultimate need was not healing from God, but holiness before God. Friends, I, what a truth that is. 
His ultimate need was not healing from God, but holiness before God. When you think about the course of our own lives, sure, there are going to be many things that we need in this life. And we were going to, we're going to see all kinds of need around us. We're going to see poverty. We're going to see people struggling with addiction. We're going to see fatherlessness. We can go on and on and on. And there's so much need, so much pain, so much hurting. And these things must gain our attention. We must seek to try to invest our lives to help people for their own well-being. But we need to remember that, that our ultimate need is always spiritual. Our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sins. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not trust in Jesus and you'll be safe from poverty. The gospel of Jesus is, is not trust in Jesus and you'll be safe from COVID-19. The gospel is trust in Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. Forgiveness is God's greatest gift for our greatest problem. Christians, I would just ask you for a moment just to, just to stand back. And as you see the healings take place and, and what these healings are ultimately pointing towards, the forgiveness that we have in and through the power and authority of Christ. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you relish the fact that God in Christ has forgiven you of your sins? Do you swim in the joy of God's forgiving grace towards you? Or do you take it for granted? I think so many times we, we take this for granted. We, we see here the, the power and wonder and glory of Jesus in forgiving sin. And oftentimes we, we presume upon it. And I think one of the things that this would just, by implication, encourage us towards is just to be reminded of how great of a need we have and how great of a God we have who has met that need through the sending of his own son. And maybe you're watching with us this morning and, and you, you're not a Christian. Maybe, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you, you've not put your hope in Christ. Maybe you come today as this leper, or as this paralytic, in need of his saving grace, in need of healing. And I would just tell you that your greatest need in the world is to have your sins forgiven. You may have a lot of other needs around you. You may have a lot of pain. You may have a lot of uncertainty. You may have a lot going on in your life. But your greatest need is to see Jesus as your only hope of having your sins forgiven, to cast yourself at his mercy and say, Jesus, my, much like the leper, if you will, you can make me clean, and, and to ask him to do that. And we would encourage you towards that. Forgiveness is our greatest need. It is our greatest need. Number two, we see that forgiveness flows from Jesus' authority. In the case of the leper, Jesus shows he has a unique authority to confront the unclean and make them clean. Jesus, he has a unique authority. In some ways, he demonstrates his holiness there as he can actually stand before and actually touch the unclean and not himself be impacted by it, but actually bring total and full cleansing. What he does in the story of the leper becomes all the clearer in the case of the paralytic. What he does in demonstration in the leper, he does by proclamation and demonstration in the paralytic. When Jesus announces the man 
who was lowered down from the roof, when he says, your sins are forgiven you, he senses disapproval from the Pharisees and scribes present. It doesn't seem that they were vocalizing their their concerns about what Jesus has just done. You see that in verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he was able to read their minds. And he even says, why do you question in your hearts? So it seems that they're kind of just kind of muffled a bit, maybe internally just saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? He reads that. And then he takes this moment to make, clear, make a very clear statement about his authority. Notice his response. When he perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? And then verse 23, which is easier? Your sins to say to someone, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, in this case to a paralytic, rise and walk. He confronts them with a question. And the logic of this question seems easy to follow. It's, it's much easier to say something that cannot be visually verified than it is to say something that can be immediately visually verified. And then he comes to the key verse, verse 24. I think this is the key verse to the entire text here in this, this section. He says, but, this is which is easier, your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he did. See, he visibly demonstrates and proves his authority to forgive sin by miraculously healing the man. The point to all this is not simply to say Jesus has power to heal. The point of the healing was to show that he had the power to forgive. He had the authority to forgive. Again, this text drives home the point that Jesus is our hope because he is the one who has authority to forgive sin. I mean, that's the point that he's making here. Yes, it is another healing account. Yes, it's on the heels of another healing account from the leper. But verse 24 is the key. Jesus makes it clear, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is the the key to the entire passage. Forgiveness of sin does not come and cannot come any other way. It can't come by, by doing enough good works. It can't come by... By, by somehow saying enough Hail Marys or whatever the case may be, or in our day and time, you can't drink enough Clorox to make yourself clean. Don't ever do that, by the way. Forgiveness comes by casting yourself at the mercy of Christ and saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice in both cases how the healings are immediate and total. Total healing, total cleansing. Instantly. See, the power of Jesus to heal and forgive is more more than we can fathom. You, you, may, you may think that your sin is, is too bad. You may think that you, you are so unclean that there's no way your sin could possibly be forgiven. And friend, I just want you to see what this text is saying. If Jesus can, if Jesus can cleanse a leper, the most unclean condition imaginable, physical, and he can cause a paralytic to rise and walk immediately, then then what he's saying to us is that there's no sin too great for him to cleanse. We ought to be overwhelmed by that. We ought to be overwhelmed by the authority and the beauty of Christ here. No sin is too great for him to cleanse. 
No condition is too far gone for him to heal. Now, one of my favorite hymns is, is it, it is Well With My Soul. And I know a lot of folks like that song, but I can hardly ever get through verse 3 without being filled with emotion. It's that, that verse that, that says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. This is what Christ does. He forgives us of all our sin, not partially, but entirely. He brings full restoration. He brings full transformation. And let's be quick to run to Christ for forgiveness. He has the only authority to grant it. He has authority to forgive even the worst of sinners. Christians, let us be reminded of that truth day and day, day in and day out. Even as we wrestle with our flesh, even as we wrestle with sin that so easily entangles us even now, let's be quick to run to Christ, to remember remember that, that if we would simply confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that he has paid our debt in full, that he has borne the judgment against our sin in our place. Friend, again, if if you're an unbeliever, this is your hope. Run to this Jesus, run to him and kneel before him, cast yourself before him and ask him to cleanse you, and he will. Fellow Christians, let us be, let us be quick to encourage others towards the Savior. May this just be a reminder to us in our own pursuits that one of the greatest joys and privileges we've been called to have as, as Christ followers is to point others to where they can find true healing and true cleansing. It comes from Jesus. Forgiveness flows from his authority. He is the one that has authority on earth to forgive sin. He is the one who not only has that authority, but he is the one that was given as the sacrifice, not the same sacrifice in Leviticus. That's pointing to what ultimately Jesus would come and do as he bore the judgment on the cross in our place, dying our death. Flows from Jesus' authority. But number three, I want you to see what else uh, is true about forgiveness here in this passage is that forgiveness underscores Jesus' priority. You know, the healing of the leper and the paralytic sets us up well for the encounter with Levi. And I want you to see that. It's two healing accounts, and now you have the calling of a tax collector to follow Jesus. And they're not unrelated. It's, it's as if the healing of the leper and then the healing of the paralytic, which gives us more commentary on Jesus' purpose in the miracles, now comes to full fruition as he does this work of calling and cleansing Levi. It underscores Jesus' priority. You see, the spiritual lessons these two healings portray come into full view now. The previous were physical outcasts, and now Jesus initiates conversation with what many would refer to as a social outcast. Tax collectors were notorious for corruption. They were puppets of Rome. They had a reputation for cheating others. They were often seen as oppressors often wealthy because they're making a lot of money off of 
of people by cheating them out of their out of their out of their money and of their wealth or resources. And as Jesus approaches this tax collector, he calls him by the name Levi here in Luke's gospel, and we know him by another name, Matthew. He approaches Levi sitting at the tax booth and he says to him, follow me. Two words, follow me. Now there's a lot packed into those two words, but but we see the fruit of what happens. Jesus calls him, he says, follow me, calls him to be one of his disciples in essence, and he leaves everything, everything, and he follows him. You see, the power of Jesus is calling here, and we could really unpack that at great length here. He totally transforms Levi's life with two words. He brings cleansing and he brings new, new priorities to, to Levi's life in just two words. And because of that, Levi wants to celebrate. Levi, verse 29, made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Levi is thrilled with this new experience of grace in his life. He, he's thrilled with what Jesus has just done in him, and he wants to share that news with others. So he hosts a party at his house, Jesus being the featured guest. And that's not so much the problem. The problem comes into play, not so much with Levi having Jesus over for dinner, but the problem is with the guest list. See, Levi invited all of his fellow tax collector friends to join them for this dinner. Thus the response of the Pharisees. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, right there is a, is a crucial point to the overall nature of the mission and calling of Jesus. Back in chapter 4, verse 43, we saw where Jesus said, um, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus understands that the reason he was sent was to preach good news. What is that good news? Was it news that Jesus can make lepers clean and paralytics walk? Not quite. The good news was that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. And that that message is to be shared broad and wide with, with all kinds of people. That is his mission. For this purpose I was sent, he says. And now he clarifies who will be the recipients of this message a little further. He, he hones in a little further. You see, Jesus, he's not all concerned at all with who he dines with because he understands the nature of his mission. He didn't come to just simply huddle with the godly, though he did spend much time teaching. He came primarily to call sinners to repentance. You see, his, mes his mission compelled him to be with the outcasts and the undesirables of society because they were the very ones who needed the good news. You see, you see that there, don't you? You see a leper, you see a paralytic, you see a tax collector. All of these, in some aspect, were outcasts, were undesirable, were, were the untouchable. They were people who... who uh, individuals who people wanted nothing to do with in the culture. And Jesus goes directly and intentionally to each one of these and brings healing in two cases, but that's pointing to the ultimate healing he was to bring 
which was forgiveness. And you see that fleshed out in Matthew's life or Levi's life here. I think Jesus' ministry, his focus, really challenges the notion of our ministry, doesn't it? I think too often Christians, churches, they want a sanitized ministry. They want ministry that's clean and easy and with people who, who are easy to deal with. But the reality is that it's in the trenches and around the tables with the ungodly where gospel ministry needs to be most focused. See, we're often afraid to engage those society deems undesirable or untouchable or not worth the time. But friends, Jesus died for that kind of people, those kind of people. Jesus died for these folks. You know, sometimes we, we come up even in the church with categories and groups of people that we would just soon not want to have to encounter. And it's, it's, a, it's an indictment. It's an indictment upon our sanitized version and view of ministry. It's an indictment upon the the, the misdirection of our own hearts and our own agendas. I mean, look at Jesus. Look at him. It is a significant thing that the God of the universe is now on earth dining with those who are so different than him. I think one of the, one of the things that we should be, keep in mind as Christians and as the church is that we are called, we are called to minister to those who are outcast. Yes, in some way, we are all outcasts. We are all broken. We are all sinful. And that's my point, isn't it? I mean, who deserves this grace? No one. No one. And yet, as those who have been recipients of grace, sometimes we begin to categorize who we think deserve to hear the gospel and those who don't. And that's a terrible indictment upon our understanding of the gospel and the nature of the mission of the church. And sometimes we will even withhold hospitality and kindness from people whose lifestyles we may not like or we may think that are challenging. I think we've done that by and large with the LGBTQ community where we've ostracized them because we see a lifestyle that doesn't align with, with what we see in Scripture and therefore we don't want anything to do with them and we treat them as outcast. What a terrible indictment. We're called to love them. We're called to be kind. We're called to engage them, to welcome them, to be hospitable to them. And what I think we confuse is that we think somehow that being nice to someone is also affirming them. That is just not the case. You can be nice and you can be kind, you can be hospitable and kind and generous to someone and not yet affirm the, the, the types of lifestyles and sins you may see in their life. It was nothing for Jesus to sit down at the table with those who were considered outcasts. We could come up with many other examples. Friends, that ought to show us how we treat people is very important. Again, you don't have to affirm someone's lifestyle or sin to be nice and hospitable. Your kindness may actually be the very bridge God has ordained to encourage them in the gospel, to bring some into the kingdom, to show the world that the, 
that the church, that Christians are not these angry, legalistic people. We actually may be the bridge that God has ordained to actually show the world that that Christians are kind, benevolent people, and that the gospel is worth listening to and receiving. The point of all of this is that outsiders are called to experience grace. In fact, it's only the outsider that God calls to himself. And again, that's good news because that's true of all of us. You may have grown up in a very moral home, maybe middle-class, upper-class family. Maybe you're one of those that got the brand-new car when you were 16. You enjoyed all the pleasures of middle-upper-class life. But friends, let me just encourage you. Your status before a holy God is no different in your sin or in your salvation than those who have not had any of that and vice versa. Friends, we are all fallen. We are all sinners. We are all to some degree outcast. And for us to distinguish who's an outcast and who's not is just to make a, 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 a terrible error in judgment. It, it, it's, a, it's a refusal to remember that God sent his son into the world to save sinners. That's who he came after. As part of our ministry, and as part of our care for others, we are called to love those who the world may not love or who even many in the church may not love. We are called to show dignity to everyone because everyone bears the image of God and everyone needs the same grace of God. I just ask you, friend, what are you willing to risk to reach others with the gospel? Are you willing to risk your the perception that people have of you? Are, are you willing to risk even certain relationships and certain things in your life in order to, to be kind and benevolent to others so that may in, maybe in God's grace, maybe in God's providence, he may use you as the means to bring others to himself. See, Jesus presents the nature of his ministry here as one who came not to heal the righteous. He came to call sinners. See, forgiveness underscores Jesus' priority. He came to forgive. He came to pursue sinners and therefore... As those who've been recipients of God's grace, we are called to pursue sinners as well. And then number four, a truth about forgiveness is that forgiveness transforms our priorities. Transforms our priorities. The leper is cleansed and released back into society. The paralytic is healed and goes home glorifying God. Levi, the tax collector, is called to follow Jesus and he leaves everything. Leaves his business, he leaves everything. All of of his corruption behind and surrenders his life to follow Jesus. Friends, when you've received the grace of God, you realize just how much you've been given. God's grace transforms everything and your life will reflect it. In these men, you see joy. You see a newfound compassion to, to see others experience the same grace that they've received. You see a new completely new priorities as as Levi leaves everything and he follows Jesus Jesus becomes his priority so your friend friends your heart when it's received grace when you've been forgiven of your sin will overflow with joy and you will be reoriented the posture of your heart and the posture of your life will be reoriented towards Christ and his priorities 
Friends, does your life reflect that kind of living? Forgiveness transforms our priorities. You know, I can't help but think in all of this, even with the leper and the paralytic, you know, the thing that stands out to me is I just wonder what that banquet would have been like at Levi's house. The party he threw, you know, with Jesus and the sinners. Friend, you may think back upon your own conversion. You may think back about your own uh, calling and how Jesus brought you into the kingdom, how that moment when you understood Jesus was the one and is the one who can and will forgive you of your sin. You know, you may not have thrown a banquet upon your conversion, but there's coming a day when we will all join with Jesus at the heavenly banquet. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her, granted her to clothe herself with fine and bright linen. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. See, there's a banquet awaiting us all, those who have found forgiveness in Christ. And that is a banquet that not, that's not going to be us throwing. It's not going to be a banquet where we have a meal for Jesus, where he will be the featured guest. No, it's going to be a banquet where Jesus brings us as the featured guest, the lepers, the outcasts, and we will be there with him forever to delight in the forgiveness that he gives all who will call upon him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful truth of your forgiving grace. Lord, we thank you for reminder today that you are a God who forgives, that you are one who cleanses, not just partially, but fully. Father, there is no unclean condition that you cannot heal. Lord, we thank you for this amazing work. We thank you for this amazing grace. We thank you for the great gift of salvation that's ours through Jesus Christ. Lord, it may be that some are struggling as they listen, and it may be that some are struggling with a realization that they are sinner, that they are separated from you, and Lord, even now, would you call them to yourself? Would you show them that their hope can be found in Jesus, that they can be fully cleaned because of him? Would you help us as Christians who follow you, Lord? Would you help us to cling, cling to this reality, Lord? Would you help this be the very foundation and the motive of our lives, Lord, that we would not lose sight of this forgiving grace? Father, we thank you for this reminder through your word today. Would you help us to embrace it and to live joyfully and fully because of the forgiveness we've been given through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.